Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the amazing Chrissy McCarthy. We're talking about taking an interruption in your PhD and we talk about why you might feel that this is a failure. We talk about why this absolutely isn't a failure and indeed what it might bring and how it might enrich your PhD journey. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Chrissy. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this this is going to be a good one, I think. Um, so you have been on a journey. You've been on many journeys. So many. <laughs> <laughs> so many different modes of transport. <laughs> We're going to talk about oh, this kind of the PhD journey, obviously, in particular, but the process of kind of taking interruption from that, and and that is a that is a big one for a lot of people. And so that is what we're diving into today. And thank you for stepping up, and you're gonna you're gonna share it all with us. So thank you for that. Um, but before we get going, um, you were gonna. Um, I, it's the same thing as I ask everybody in terms of just giving us a sense of your journey into the PhD, through it, and out the other side because you do amazing work now. So just this sense of of how that was for you yeah so um I, I never really had any thoughts about academia at all I just wanted to be a builder and so I did that 10 years and like concrete and cranes are just where my little heart lies and <laughs> oh, it's the most fun and so um, <laughs> so I did that for 10 years and I, I love building things I still do I keep extending the house there's gyms in the garden but what I didn't always love was the experience that I had within the construction industry and whether that was the more general things like presenteeism, long hours culture, um, the pressure, at this forever ongoing pressure of the industry. But then coupled with the experience that I had being a woman, which right. was like just all day, every day, everything, just always having to consistently prove yourself again and again, which... After kind of five years, you start seeing patterns by 10 and you look up and there's no one in the positions above you. You realize that maybe this is a problem that's not just to do with your perceived own incompetence. Because right. obviously that's where I went to first. I'm not good enough. I'll just work harder until I bleed myself to bone. Nice. One of the things I found really very interesting was a lot of the things that were being put in place around equality that were designed to help me actually made the situation worse. They, you know, quality diversity training that focused on the law made my colleagues scared to talk to me, uh, scared to get things wrong, scared to employ women. Um, women in construction days often didn't give me any solutions, but would, you know, garner comments from site around, um, you know, you get a day off to chat with the other women. So it was just, it was constant. So I became really interested in, okay, how do we make equality work? And so I figured that was going to be easy. <laughs> Bless. I thought I'd just start. <laughs> business get this solved go back to building stuff in the afternoon hmm. 16 years later <laughs> um, I went to do a, a master's I started a master's and um, I didn't finish it because basically a PhD was cheaper and I was self-funded um so I, I did that the postgrad certificate and diploma I can't remember which round it was but I did both of those um I thought I was just going to find out the solutions and then implement them in construction but what I found was we 
don't know the answers to how to make equality work. And so um, I had an idea of what might be stopping it. And so um, that's when I ended up doing a PhD. I was heavily encouraged by Gassan Aoud at um, University of Salford and then later Andrew Dainty at Loughborough. Without those two people showing faith in me, I would have never done that. I mean, I come from a family where the, um, me and my sisters were the first in my you know, out of my after my mum and dad to actually finish school, let alone um my, my dad was was busy doing other slightly more legal things. Um, let alone go to, you know, college. Like college was a big deal, let alone university, master PhD. Um, we didn't even know what that was. But I do want to just give credit to my dad here because he's worked out a way of telling people that might help other people from similar counsellors backgrounds, um, which is my dad says that Chris isn't the sort of doctor that will save your life. She's the sort of doctor that will talk you to death. So, <laughs> that's such a dad thing. I love it. I love him. I love him. So that's how he understands it. But um, so, yeah, so I did the PhD I thought I was doing the PhD to find out the answer to a question. Um, but what my nine year PhD journey taught me was that actually it was teaching me how to ask and answer questions. And that was a kind of a revelation within itself. And, you know, I always say my PhD is one of the best and worst things I've ever done, but I do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, amazing. Right. That is so golden as well in terms of learning how to ask the questions and I that what a gift that is to people because I know there'll be lots of people listening to this now going I, I can't answer this I don't know this and you don't necessarily need to know it do you then people don't need to know it they just need to be knowing what questions they're going to ask exactly I thought I needed the answers whereas my PhD taught me absolutely that I just don't know anything yeah. and it's okay no nobody else does either but none of us do <laughs> and yeah. that really understanding that or at least really understanding it as much as I do now I'm sure I understand it more with every passing year it it felt like such a release yeah. it felt so much easier so much pressure lifted off because I always felt and still do inadequate and then to understand that this is much more about confidence and the display of confidence sometimes than it is about knowledge or skill yeah. made it a little bit easier. And I've always found, I, I find increasingly, the more I realise how little I know and the more open I am to that with others, actually the, the better my working relationships are, the, the better the trainer I am, the, the better things are. And it's really weird because you'd think it would be the other way. You'd yeah. think people would like the people that know everything. Whereas actually... I think that's more annoying sometimes yeah, and yeah. reassuring in the right environments. But as a blanket rule, no, it's so permission given, isn't it? To kind of go, I'm not sure about this. Well, well, let's let's have a conversation. And I think that you know those kind of conference papers are exciting, aren't they? Where somebody goes, I'm I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And then people can kind of build on that. And I think absolutely what you're saying there in terms of of PhD being a mindset game. It is a totally a mindset game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this sense of what you said about displaying of confidence. I, I love that. I love it. And it made me for you when you saying about this, realise you know nothing. There's that brilliant cartoon thing. I'll see if I can find it for show notes. But basically, you start off thinking you're going to know everything. Like you go through school and you get all this information. And then, but then the actual PhD is just going, I don't know anything. That's that's what you get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I know. Nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> 
Um, amazing. Right, well, now we've sorted that out. <laughs> I love that. And thank you for shouting out your people because I think it's so important. And I think because I know a lot of people listening to this also are also teachers and just remembering the difference that you make and in terms of encouraging other people to go on this journey, you send amazing ripples into the world so thank you to those to those to people to us asana was it asana asana and Sam uh, said and andrew denty but then later my phd supervisor was sarah barnard and Derek thompson and they were both amazing in very very different ways um but such clever generous people the generosity of time that they gave me and and patience such an incredible amount of patience and yeah, I, I, yeah, they're, they're just brilliant, and I love them. Even if I think they're, they're probably very fed up with me by the end of it, um, they were just amazing. I was very, very fortunate to have three such amazing supervisors. Hooray for them! Um, so, so now we're now we're in talking about your pitch. Let, let's talk about that then. So, the, what we were going to focus on today is this taking interruption. So tell us that tell us that bit of the of the story. How was that? Yeah, so my PhD took nine years all in, and um, I did it part time. Um, and so I was running a business and um, and doing the PhD sort of at weekends and in evenings, occasionally a day here and there, but mostly weekends and evenings. And it, and I'm, I'm not a good academic writer, um, not by any means. I tend to, you know. I come from a big Irish family of storytellers. So I write in this storytelling way naturally. And that's not useful for a PhD. It's very frustrating. And also my brain is neurodivergent in some way, and I don't know which, because we just didn't diagnose things when I was at school. And now I've just gotten used to the funky little thing that it is and love it and wouldn't change it. But it does make writing academically difficult. And I didn't always recognise that was happening. Right. So, um, so I'm, I'm doing the PhD, and I, I was really, um, I, I say lucky, but maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe it was picking up on what I'd noticed when I'd worked on site. Um, the, the results I did mixed um, methods, and right. my quant results came back just demonstrating what I thought I was going to find. And yeah, it was it was easy. It wasn't like I didn't have enough data. It it was there, and my qual was was great as well. So the problem wasn't in the data the problem was very very much with me and I think that's really important to say and I know that and quite frankly I don't have shame in that and the reason I don't have shame in that is because that is the point of a PhD it is about learning and I think people forget that sometimes I think they think they're supposed to know the answers going in I thought I was supposed to know the answers going in. I thought every draft that I wrote was supposed to be a finished draft. And I know it's ridiculous now to think back upon it, but I I believed it because that was kind of the way that that it had happened before. And I didn't realise that the gift was in the edit. And and now that I do, it's enlightening. Like, write terrible first drafts, people. It's freeing. It's wonderful. Just get that out of your head. So anyway, um. My my business had grown to like it was a startup. I don't have a trust fund. I mortgaged my house to to grow this thing. I spent a lot of money on my education, and then I had a bad client, and we went from like 120 in the bank to minus 30 um, in the space of eight months. Yeah, a client kept asking us to hold out for the delivery of something, and I didn't realise that they had different intentions. Let's put it that way. So anyway, 
And so I ended up having to make redundancies of around five people. At the same time as this was happening, um, I lost a couple of kids, I had a couple of miscarriages very early, but we um, we really wanted them. So as much as the heartbreak wasn't as hard as it's been for some people, it hit me oh, hard. That's, that's a huge thing. It was a big one. And um, on top of this, I come from a family that would um, often use alcohol to deal with problems. And right. so I adopted that tried and tested method. Spoiler alert, I don't advise it. I was starting to feel very much like a failure. And because I, I don't think it takes a lot to work out with all of this happening, I wasn't progressing in my PhD. Right. And of course, um, I I wasn't sharing that with my supervisors. I didn't want to worry them. I didn't want to look like a failure. Um, and so it just got to a point where my supervisor basically said to me, we don't know if you should be doing this. Like, And that's when I kind of was like, just wrote this email to them, outlining all of this and saying, I, I do not want to give up on this. This is still as important to me as it ever was. However, I do agree I'm pushing too hard, too far, because after the business went down and we made everyone redundant, about three months, I could barely get out of bed. And I genuinely remember sitting there thinking, how do people get up and shower? How do they just do that? It felt like the hardest thing. And that, of course, makes you feel so useless, so worthless. And then you've got someone telling you, just do a bit of exercise. And when you can't get out of bed, the idea of exercise feels insurmountable. And so that makes you feel like more of, and it just becomes this spiral. Yeah. Now, fortunately for me, I have an incredibly supportive partner who, um, despite never having poor mental health, which my brain doesn't even understand. I've had depression and anxiety since I was 13, which often makes me think I can deal with it. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was incredibly supportive of me and and that helped. And it's obviously a lot harder when you've got different situations. So anyway, um, so we got to a point where I said, I, I, I can't remember my supervisor suggested it or I did, but it was just, I don't want to give up on this, mm-hmm. but I think I do need to break from this yeah. because there's too much. I feel like a failure and it's almost like I just need to reset a little bit. And so I reset. And then just as I was coming back, um, I fell pregnant. And this one, I was fortunate enough to have a stick around. And so then I took um, another, I think I came back for like five minutes. And then I took another break for maternity. And, and that really helped take the load off. Though if I'm honest, the thing that um, that got my PhD done for me was was COVID because my work, my business work dried up and having that that time and headspace without the business was got me through. So I would say to anyone that's doing their PhDs part-time, if you get into a similar situation like mine, if and I know it's so hard when you've got bills coming in, but if you can just take some unadulterated time, because it I realized after taking that time that it was almost as if I would get to a point, like the cusp of a breakthrough of understanding where I was going wrong, but then go back into my work thinking. And the work thinking was pretty much polar opposite of what I needed to do for a PhD. So I was always getting there and back. And yeah, so my poor supervisors often uh, poor, like they're, they're brilliant people. I'm sure they survived me. Um, but 
it, it must have felt like Groundhog Day for them. And I can see that now, but I didn't see that then. I was fixing the wrong problems because I wasn't in a headspace to be able to see what the problems were. So I interpreted them through my own insecurities, I suppose, rather than what they were actually saying to me. So, so yes. So sorry, I muddled all of that up. There are things. No, no, no. There's, 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 and I think that's the point, isn't it? It is a muddle. Life is messy and a muddle, and things come at you. And for you, I am so sorry to hear that all of that came at you all at once. Um, but that is life too, isn't it? And I, I think that we set off on a PhD journey, and we don't expect life to happen to us. <laughs> crazily we go you know what I'm going to do spend three four five seven nine years of my life and it's all going to be totally fine I'm never going to be ill I'm never going to have anyone do anything that's not you know and of course that isn't how life is and for you of course this is extreme and really 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 difficult stuff um but I think this sense of being aware that life is going to happen while the journey is going on is really important and um, learning how to give yourself space with that, not feeling like you have to take it all on and do yeah. it on. And do appreciate my hypocrisy in saying that because, like, it's not like I've learned. <laughs> like, <I'm so> <laughs> I, know, I know. See, so here's me too. I'm totally putting my hands up. So there's a total hypocrite sitting here. It's like, don't fit, don't take it on yourself. Don't do that. Of course. Like, we. the thing is, here we are. We're all together. We are all high achievers. We think we can do it all. And the reason is because we have these moments where we can, like we know, yeah. we see these flashes of brilliance because we're smart people. But we expect that of ourselves all the time, every single day. And that's, and ridiculous. that's ridiculous. But I think it's because you feel like a failure then when you don't do it. And yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I've gotten better at understanding, do you know what, sometimes, what. Oh, Oh God, why is it so hard to say sometimes I'm clever? Why oh why does that hurt to say, oh dear. Mostly I'm mediocre. <laughs> and then occasionally I'm just terrible. Occasionally, maybe a bit more than occasionally. And I think that there's something in understanding that. There's something in feeling at ease with that. Like we cannot operate at this level all of the time. It is not not emotionally, not I was gonna say not cleverly, not in, not with intellect. <laughs> Clearly not me. Um, and I and I think we just have to be more forgiving of ourselves. And I I always think that the thing that got me through my PhD was uh, was resilience. I, do you mind if I tell a quick story? Because no, I please this. do, please do. Um, I I met up with my one of my PhD supervisors, Andrew Dainty, a little while afterwards, and I said to him, um, he'd done something amazing. So I got this uncle who um, who I love, and he he says he whenever he sees a, an ugly baby, which I don't believe there's such a thing. But he'll always say, um, nice pram. So that's his thing, like nice pram. Oh. So I know, bless him. So I said to my supervisor, you nice prammed me once. And he was like, what do you mean? So I explained that. And I said, well, it was one day and I'd handed in a load of stuff again. And it, it wasn't it wasn't improved. And he said, at the end of the meeting, you turn around to me and say, Chris, I just want to say, you are one of the most resilient people I have ever met. And that was nice pramming because you were basically saying, this stuff is awful, <laughs> but yet you are still here. And and I think resilience is a very underrated quality in a PhD. But at the same time, I think you have to understand when to stop being resilient yeah. Yeah. and to breathe 
and to realize the more you push, the less you see. It's almost like you get too close to the wall mm-hmm. and you need to kind of just back mm-hmm. off a bit. And it, I found for me, and if it doesn't for anyone else, sorry to imply that that's you, but for me, I found that that made things clearer that, yeah. that time away. So I think it's important to have that because I know that there are supervisors who will say things like, unless you are working on your PhD 24-7, you're doing it wrong. And actually, I think that that level of, of closeness to something can kind of stifle what you're, what you're seeing in it. So yeah, yeah. No, no, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. So I think yes to resilience, yes to being really smart, and yes to this sense of actually a break is going to do me good. Because I think, just want to come back to, you've said it a few times, in terms of feeling like a failure. And yeah. and I think this this sense of when we're not able to juggle all the balls because there's just so many and they're coming at us so fast. It's it's impossible. We set up impossible standards and then we feel like a failure because we're unable to meet that. So actually, really, I'm, I'm so pleased that we're kind of having this discussion in terms of saying to people, you are not a failure for taking a break. This is not a failure. This is a recognition. Actually, you just need some space just now. Absolutely. And also, I think it's so important to say, and you're not a failure from walking away from a PhD. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. My, I've known people to walk away from PhDs and carry that with them. And no, you made a right choice for you. This is an incredibly hard thing to do. Unless you're working in the sciences, let's face it, it's, it's a Ponzi scheme in some places. This is not necessarily always going to help with your career trajectory. I know um, it didn't for many years in... in my role and it weirdly has now but I wasn't expecting it it wasn't what I was doing this for I was doing it because I wanted to to find something out so if you you start to think this is taking more than this is giving and actually this is not weighing up that's not failure that's just good risk analysis yeah yeah absolutely yes thank you for that but and but I want to come back to this taking the time out because I think it, yeah. it usually feels for people like well this will be it then I'll take the time out and then I am walking away that's how it feels but actually for your experience and for many people's experience this type this taking time away which you said interestingly about allowed you to see things more clearly and then come back it's not it's not that you were kind of it was giving you an opportunity to keep going yes and I, but I always knew I was coming back to it. There was never, there was never a doubt in my mind that I wouldn't come back to this. Um, yeah. as, as terrifying as that might be, I've been to my supervisors at the time. Yeah. Um, but, but it was never, that was never an option for me because what I wanted to find out was so important to me. And, and for me, the ending of the PhD was about the answers that it gave me and the ability to ask those questions. At the time, I didn't really care about having a PhD. I cared about being able to know how to answer the, the questions, which, as I said before, and then I realised it wasn't just about that, it was, it was more, but it was, it was incredibly useful. Yes, when, and I think this, this sense of um, where your supervisors were coming from as, as well, in terms of you, it, this is very, this is common too. Like lots of people take interruptions, intermissions, whatever, whatever you call it. So it, it, to talk about that with your supervisor is not, is, is not a terrible thing and they won't think less of you. And what I think was really interesting, you said about 
not talking to a supervisor because that happens a lot. People then just go and as a supervisor, one of the most anxiety provoking things is the radio silence. So actually, when all of that stuff was going on, having that conversation is is a, is a really useful thing to do. Um, and that then you can make a plan to to come back to it, can't you? Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things as well, which is, I, I think you've kind of, your background falls into this also. Like I come from a background where my, my dad quit jobs when supervisors were bad. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> and so that's what I was quite used to was that those are the decisions that you make. That's how you make decisions. So for me, you don't have those conversations. I wasn't kind of used to that. I had to build up and I had to learn that. And I think that's such an important thing, especially when we're talking about people from first-gen backgrounds like myself, is that understanding that quite often it's not like, like some people are born with the skills yeah. and people yeah. don't always associate that as the skills base. They just It's just seen as what you do. But it is a skill set yeah. to recognise how and when to go for help. It yeah. is... Um, there is experience in knowing that a system will support you. And for me, I wasn't used to those systems supporting me. I had a bit of a tough time. I left home at 16 and at university, I really struggled because I didn't get any funding whatsoever. Um, I got given some bad advice. I was told that um, if I claimed any of the funding they offered, it would prejudice me from getting the full amount. So for the first, I, I know it wasn't great advice from the student right. union. Um, so for my first year, first year, two years of university, I had to just work full time. And so, yeah. And when I spoke to a soup, um, one of my lecturers about it and explained, you know, I left home, I'd been in a domestic violence situation, this other stuff had happened. I was, I didn't have any support anywhere else. So I was having to stay and work in the summers, blah, blah, blah. So trying to explain what was happening. The, um, the person that I'd said it to, the lecturer just turned around and said, no, I think you've got boyfriend issues. And that kind of reduction of my situation to something they could understand. So I understand why it was done. But for me, it was just like, okay, I appreciate that my life is too difficult for people in this situation to understand. And okay, that's just something I learn and I move on from. And and that is just something that I learned and move on from. And it's took me a lot of years to understand that actually me this is why I talk very proudly about my experiences now I don't know anyone's pity I don't need it I'm doing fine thank you very much it's more I really want to open up the door to as I was saying to you before understanding that when you come from a privileged background talking about your background is welcomed and it is something that provides you with even more success when you come from backgrounds like mine brilliant backgrounds like mine when you talk about those backgrounds, people always think that you want sympathy or to be pitied, or they do pity you. When actually, sometimes we just need to say that this is just the road that I walk. And because of this road that I walked, it led to me making decisions that are very different to yours. I don't need your pity. I don't need your sympathy. And I don't need you to think that I do. But I do need you to understand that that is the experience that I have. And it's the minutity of that detail that actually has the biggest impact. And so, you know, all of the lovely EDI policies in the world don't really matter if your whole experience has been reduced down to a boy, which is, it kind of, that disrupts everything. And so I think that there is something in that, in that, you know, if a system doesn't work for you or hasn't worked for you, you are less likely to use that system. And don't get me wrong, I didn't realise that was happening at the time. Um, You just... You know, you just do, you go where your brain tells you, don't you? 
Yeah, no, and I think that's that's such an important point in in terms of just acknowledging what internal voices might be going on at the time where you're really struggling with the things, especially, especially if this is your thing, if this is where you fly. I am the academic, you know, I am smart. This is what I do. And now I can't do it. And what's that mean for me? Who am I and what am I? So there's going to be all sorts of stuff going on. And and exactly what you said about, and I can't really trust the system because I, I know that that doesn't really work for me or I don't really understand how it works. I don't I don't know what's going on, which is exactly like, like we said before. It's like, that's why I want this podcast to happen because I want you to have the stories and I want you to have the knowledge of how it works. And that, that's, that's a whole... That's a whole nother podcast. But I think thank you for opening that up for us, Chrissy, in terms of just reminding us that the, that taking an interruption is not the end of the story. You can make this work for you. It's a, it can be a really positive decision for you to give you space and allow you to come back into the work um, and and to ask people to support you in that um, and expect that support will be there for you. But I, I think as well, it's really important to say that not everyone does get that support. No. I was very, very lucky, yeah. but I know many people that weren't. And and I think that, that just does need to be acknowledged because, again, people can turn to turn that on themselves. Was it the way I asked? Was yeah. it what I did? When actually, yeah. um, you know, there's some brilliant supervisors out there and there's some that perhaps need to develop some skill sets around inclusion. Very diplomatically put very diplomatically but let's come the revolution we will have a I'm different different situation really let's change academic culture really is it's so important it's so important um i'm aware of time and aware that we might get caught up in revolutionary chat um which which i love i love but we need to we need to draw this to a close so okay. so I always ask people and this feels even more reductive than it usually does out of that great epic when so much we've covered so much is there a top tip or a thought for people to take take away with them um just just give yourself grace just um understand that this is a, a phd is about learning and it is not about knowing everything it's the opposite of that and just you know just think about what you want to achieve and whether this is taking you there and how how to get there. Because often we think we think success is running as fast as we can and doing as much as we can. When actually I think that's wrong. I think it's about understanding what you want to get out of something and how you're gonna get there. And yeah, I, I think I've just worded that all terribly. So I'll try and think no, of something better. No, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful in terms of this is oh, it's what I keep saying here is that this is a self-development process and it is, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's so much like, I, I honestly say this, my PhD had me give up drinking and I cannot tell you what a seismic I've been saying six years, which for me is important. Other people can drink happily, merrily. I can't do that. I binge. And my PhD got me to give up drinking. That's how much that? changed my brain. So the a level of self-development. I'm a social scientist, so I'm not pros- promising that from anything positivist no, or no. or even for everyone, but epistemology ontology changed the way my brain worked. So I would say, yeah, absolutely. Make sure that you're developing yourself as much as your research in this because there's so much opportunity. That's my key thing. 
that and I didn't even know it was yeah I love it I love it love it love it oh Chrissy, thank you so much. Thank you for for really being so honest and uh, and sharing that story. And I know that's going to be of help to so many people. And um, I love your work. Um, and uh, I'm sure people want to find out more about you uh, after this episode. But thank you so much. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. And thank you for setting this podcast up as well. I think it's just amazing what you're doing. So Bless you. it is totally my pleasure. Um, and thank you all.